I said to Brendan today, if you're not going to tease Eugene today, I'm definitely going to do it. So I'm glad he got it in there. Morning, guys. My name is Grant. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm really excited for the series, and I really think it's going to be groundbreaking for us as a church. So I just want to start by praying, and then we'll get into what I'm going to share today. So, Lord, we do thank you for this morning, and really just this opportunity to be together as your people. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place, and I really ask that you would speak to us, Lord. I know some people in this room have never heard you speak to them before. I pray today this would be the day. Um, But Lord, I pray you would break ground in our lives. Um, I pray you would teach us today. I pray you would help us to grow and learn what it means to follow you with every part of ourselves. And I pray as a church over the next while that you would build us in this area and that we would truly be transformed. Amen. So guys, today this is the start of a seven-week preaching series. And we're not doing that just because we're trying to pass the time, but actually because we want to take seven weeks to build into this community of people, but also into each individual life. And we've called this series Transformed. It's a series on spiritual and emotional health. And I really am trusting that God would change our lives over the seven weeks. And if you know me a little bit, I can be one of those people who likes to exaggerate a little bit to make a point. So um, I'm not doing that right now. I've done that before. You've probably heard me do that before because uh, I can get really excited about things. So for instance, Shell and I were in Cape Town last year and we were preaching at Church on Main. It was a really great weekend just with some of the people from that community. And uh, my friend Mark Townsend took us for pizza at a place called Ferdinando's in Observatory. And I love pizza. I'm a big pizza guy. And we went into this place. It was like a bit of a rundown house um, in Arbsville double-story place, and the couple who lived there and owned the house were uh, Italian, and they had this really cute little corgi whose name was Ferdinando. The place was named after this dog, and he was just running around kind of while we were eating and uh, in this restaurant, and I would tell some people that actually they would put the pizzas on Ferdinando's back, and he would run up the stairs and bring you a pizza, but that wasn't true. It was just to <laughs> exaggerate the story, and uh, the, the lady who ran the place came up to our table and was like the strong Italian woman, and she was telling us about how passionate they were about pizza, and I said, well, tell me about your pizza. She said to me, it's the best pizza in the world, and you know, I looked her in the eye. And I said, the best pizza in the world. And she said, it is the best pizza in the world. So it really was. It honestly, this pizza changed my life. I've never had a pizza like that before. And like, I do sometimes do that. I'm sure you do the same thing too. Like you have a good coffee somewhere. You're like, that is the best coffee. That is the best coffee place in Durban. You've got to go there or never go there ever. That is the worst. It will ruin your life. It'll wreck things for you. Don't go to that spot. But as I speak about this series being a series that has the potential to change our lives, I'm really being serious about that. I think the content we're going to go through over the next seven weeks, some of the tools that we're going to give to this church really have the potential, the potential to change each and every one of our lives. So I want to ask every one of us as a church to engage with what God is doing through the series, to pray and ask God for yourselves and for this community that he would bring change and lasting transformation. And honestly, I think we should be filled with faith for what God could do because God does change lives. And we should believe that, you know. I think the world around us, the culture around us believes in transformation. And um, I just think of like those people who are super gym bunnies. They're wanting to transform their bodies. So they go to gym or they've got new exercise plans or new diet plans popping out all the time because they want to look different. They want to be changed physically. Or maybe it's like at the beginning of a year when people start the New Year's resolution thing or go to a motivational speaker or get a new book. 
a self-help book or an inspirational book to help them to change. And I mean, I love books. So I mean, often I'll pop into exclusive books and just see what's going on there. And it almost feels like every single bookshelf or section is the self-help, motivational, transformational kind of section. So if you look at the the self-help section, everything inspires you. You feel like if you read any of those books, your life will never be the same. But then you go to like the business section and it's the same or the parenting section or the marriage section or the magazines. You just got to read a trashy magazine and like the, the subtitles or the headings on the magazine, you're like, if I read this, I'll never be the same again. And our culture believes in change and transformation, but how much more should we as the church believe that God is in the business of changing lives and that we can be transformed? We found Jesus. We found the gospel, the greatest news that there has ever been. And this is a gospel that transforms our lives. And what happens is often that people come into the church and they do have a life-changing encounter with God. It might have happened to you. I know it happened to me. I came into the church and the gospel was preached. Someone spoke about Jesus and something happened inside of me. So I don't think I can fully explain, but it was like God's love was poured into my life and I knew that God was real and that he loved me. And I was saved. I was born again. I was changed. The Bible says that actually we go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive, from being enemies of God to being children of God. All of these pictures of where we had been and now where we are if we're in Christ. And that was true for me. I had this encounter with God where my life was completely transformed. I was not the same again. The Spirit of God entered into me. And I'm sure that's happened to you too. And we can have an encounter with God like that, where God comes into the deepest part of who we are and takes us from being dead spiritually to alive, a child of God. But then after that, we never change again. And over the next few years, we do change, but it's all just like a superficial, external kind of change. The kind of change I'm talking about is like you start to go to different places and hang out with different people. Maybe you dress differently or you speak differently or you spend your time or your money differently. But really, that's all just external stuff that's got to do with being part of a Christian subculture or a Christian community. It actually isn't God doing deep, internal, transformational work at the deepest part of who we are. Because really, the gospel teaches us that we should be transformed from the inside out. God does work inside of us that transforms how we are externally. And that's kind of the idea that this series is all about. This is not a series about external change. This is not a series about what we should be doing. This is a series aimed at our hearts. This is a series about asking God to do some heart surgery in who we are as Harbor City Church. This is a series about internal change and lifelong transformation. So that's what we're hoping for today. But I reckon there's two groups, well, maybe a few groups of people here today, but I think some of you are probably feeling a little bit apprehensive. You know, some of you maybe saw this online or saw us mention this last week and you thought, okay, a series on emotions. And for the guys in the room, they're like, emotions, like this cold sweat came over you. You're like, I don't really like talking about that, but I'll sit through it. And you looked at your phone or you looked at your watch and you thought, okay, this guy's going for maybe another half an hour. If it's really bad, like after that, I can get out and I can go and do something fun. Because guys don't really stereotypically, I know I'm generalizing, maybe you're different don't like talking about their emotions and things. And for South African men particularly, you're allowed to cry once every four years. It's either when the Springboks win or lose the World Cup, and then it's a single tear dropping down into your castle lager below, and then you're just good for the next four years. You're fine. You're fine. Okay, you wipe it away. Keep going. So that's guys. And maybe you're here today and you feel like that. Like, I don't like talking about emotions. I don't want to get touchy-feely. Like, I don't want to come to church to cry. Grant, why are you doing this? What kind of man are you? Like, what is this series about? Maybe that's where you're at today. 
Or maybe you're in the other camp where you're feeling like a bit apprehensive and uncomfortable or uncertain or vulnerable today because we're talking about this stuff and you know there's stuff inside of you which really needs God's help. And as we speak about these things, you're thinking, I don't know what Grant's going to say today, but I'm feeling a little bit insecure. Like, he could say anything. He could hurt me. He could upset me. I actually don't know what God's wanting to do. Like, maybe God is going to unsettle some of these things inside of me, and I don't know if I'm ready for that. I understand that too, and I trust me, over the series, we'll be as sensitive and thoughtful as we can be as we preach this stuff. But we're not just doing this so that we can all have a good cry together as a church. We're not doing this just to bring all of our feelings out and put them on the table. We're actually doing this so that we can be set free and that we can be healed. We're doing this because we actually want to let God come into the deepest parts of who we are as followers of Jesus and as a church and bring freedom and healing. That's what we're trusting for in this series. And I would love to ask you, Harbor City Church visitors, people are here today, if you would be willing to let God go deeper than he has ever gone inside of you before and maybe to vulnerably and humbly and honestly share some of who you are with him and with each other. I think that would be the best thing for us as a church and for us in this series. So with all that in mind, if you have a Bible here, can you turn to Matthew 22 verse 35 to 38. We're going to go through quite a few scriptures today. They will all come up on the screen behind me. But this is probably a passage that many of you will know. This is Jesus' great commandment. We've actually probably covered this three or four times this year. But it's almost like God keeps bringing us back here and is just wanting us to understand this more and more and more. And these three verses say this, Matthew 22, verse 35. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And I know some of you guys have been in church for a long time. So when I ask this question, you've got the answer, you know. What does it mean to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind? And you're like, Grant, I know the answer. I've heard this before. I've studied this before. I've read this before. What it means is that we would prioritize God. We would give God everything of who we are. We would let God into the deepest parts of who we are, and we would love him with our whole personality and our entire being. And you get full marks. That's pretty much what it means. But I want to ask you today, what does it mean to let to love God with only some of your heart and soul and mind? And what about that gap, that space that you don't love God with? What are you loving with? Or what are you doing with that? Or why are you not giving that part of your heart, soul, mind, of your being over to God? What are you doing with that. And I think this is so important because as we look at these verses, all of this stuff is internal. Often when we think about what it means to be a Christian, we think about the externals, we think about the things we're meant to do. But here when Jesus gives us the greatest commandment, he's talking only about an internal response to God, a heart response, a mind response, a soul response, and all an internal response to him, which will over time change our external responses to God and how we live. And I think this is so key because we judge spiritual maturity based on what people do. If you're anything like me, you're giving me blank stares, but I know it's true because I know what you are like. I know it's in your hearts. We look at other people and we judge them based on their prayer life and based on the things they do and how much they sin and the places they go and all of these other things. We judge them based on the story of how God is using them, what he's doing with their lives. These are all external things. But actually, all of these are the fruits that are on the outside of our lives, which are shaped by the root at the base, the source of who we are. And sometimes the fruit on the branches of our lives are not healthy. 
You can have a lot of fruit on the tree of your life, but it's not healthy because there is something wrong at the root. So I want to ask you today, whether externally everyone thinks you're the best Christian in the room or whether they don't, what is your inner world like? And I want to just share a little bit about my story over the last few years with you. My story probably looks a bit like this. I grew up not in a Christian home, but at the age of 12, I started going to church with a friend. Youths are wonderful things to get people to start going to church. And in that youth, I became a Christian, and I believed in Jesus. I prayed a prayer, and I think I loved Jesus too. But I really didn't know much about him, and I really didn't know much about what it meant to actually live out my faith. So my life didn't change much for the next six or so years. And probably after a bit of a wandering period when I was uh, in grade 11 and 12, at the age of 18, I joined a new church. And it was honestly like my life was just changed. I began to follow Jesus as my King and my Lord. I began to serve Him. And I am a bit of an addictive, extreme, kind of compulsive personality. So I was all in. You know, I was praying for hours a day. I was like reading through the Bible a bunch of times a year. If there was a church meeting, I was at it. Like there was, if there was church stuff, like sign me up, I'm in. Because that's the kind of person I was. And I'm not saying like I was becoming a great person, but I was passionate about all of these things. So I wanted to be all in. I wanted to be part of all that was going on. And I was taking this idea of following Jesus very seriously. And over time, I started to work at the church, and I became a pastor, and we planted this church. About 40 of us, a bunch of them are still in the room today. We planted this church four years ago, actually next weekend. So we'll celebrate a little bit then. But it was a big moment, you know, and I prepared as well as I could. I read every book. I'm like a big learner. So I read all the books, listened to all the podcasts, met with pastors, met with guys who planted churches in Durban, did every bit of research I could do. Some of you are like, ah, that's crazy. Others are like, I would have been exactly like that. And we got ready and we got into it and we started this community. And I was, what I had been taught was a spiritually mature person. You know, I spent time with God in prayer and reading my Bible every single day. I knew the Bible really, really well. Um, I could share the gospel with someone and help them to begin to follow Jesus. I could help someone who was already following Jesus to grow in their faith and to take their next steps. I was someone who was very involved in church. I knew my gifts. I was serving in the church. I was making disciples. I was part of the mission of God and what he was doing through the church that I was a part of. That's what I was doing. And looking back now, I do realize that I had probably a lot of knowledge in my mind, but there were probably some big areas of my heart and life where God's power and presence hadn't been allowed to come yet. And I want to say this again. In terms of what I had been taught, I was a really spiritually mature person. In fact, in terms of kind of the grade of how people would rate spiritual maturity, I was better than a lot of people around me. And I know that sounds super arrogant. I really do. But I was, in terms of the grade that I had been given, I was more mature than a lot of other people. But at the same time, I was really immature and unhealthy at an emotional level. Internally, there was a lot of brokenness and bad stuff inside of me. I think as we started this church, I was working way too much. I was working too hard. And I heard this phrase a while ago that says, the needs of ministry will always exceed the capacity for ministry. And there was always more stuff to do, and I just didn't have the capacity and energy to do it, but I was trying. And maybe you feel exactly the same in your line of work or whatever your job is. There's just always more to do, and you're always trying to do it, and you're just getting more tired and burnt out. And I am the kind of person who likes to work hard, and I'm passionate about what I uh, do. So it's easy for me to work seven days a week. It was easy for me to add more hours and do more stuff because I loved it. 
I love this church. I love what God was doing. It. I love preaching. I love people. All of that stuff. But the reality was, is my identity was starting to get tied in with my work and what I did in this church and how this church was doing. And what happened was I was getting more impatient and probably more unhealthy. My wife says I was angry at the time and I wasn't dealing with stress and busyness well at all. I was not leading my life or leading myself well. I also had a problem with boundaries. So if you know me, I'm a bit of an extrovert. I love people and being with people. I'm also a pastor, so my job involves people, you know. And on top of that, I just like hanging out with people. You know, that is who I am. So for me, I was this guy who loved being out and about, and I loved people, but I had this weakness inside that I didn't like saying no. Boundaries was a problem for me. So people would ask me to do stuff. I would always see the good in it, and I would always want to say yes. And I was getting more tired and more busy and saying yes to too many things, and it was kind of burning me out. And I was realizing that my coping mechanism at the time, in the busyness and stress of what was going on, was just escapism. I don't know what it is for you, but I would come home after a busy week or a busy day, and I'd sit in front of the TV and I would just zone out. Or I would read a book and be on my own. Or I would just disengage from Shell at home. She would want to connect and she would want to talk, but I needed my own space because I was tired. And I started to find myself from time to time, just like during the workday, just Googling articles on burnout, as you do, you know, just kind of looking these things up and just saying, I'm intrigued by burnout. And I'd read these articles, and probably most of the time, I had 70% of the criteria. Like, I'd read through this stuff, and I'd be like, that's me, that's me, that's me, but that's not me, so I'm fine. I got this under control. I get 70%, that's a B, so if I was like 95, then I'd probably have to do something about this. And you know what didn't help me, just honestly, is chatting to people and saying, how are you doing? People just saying, I'm busy. I'm so busy. (sighs) You would not believe how busy things were. Because I think I'm busy, you know, and I'm like moaning about all of this and I'm feeling bad for myself. But the reality is, is everyone's busy. This is just what adult life looks like. So Grant, suck it up, stop being a wuss, work harder, try more, and you'll be fine. That was honestly what I was thinking. And... um, I pushed harder, and I got the Coxsackie virus, which I know Shane has had, and maybe some of you in this room have had. It's a very weird name, and I'm not sure how to spell that. But um, what that meant for me is I had no energy for about 10 days. I was in bed for about seven. I was sweating profusely for about four. She literally had to wrap me in a towel when I would sit on the couch because I was sweating so much. She had to put a little towel down in our bed so that, um, <laughs> well, really, our sheets weren't soaked by my perspiration. I lost six kgs in about 10 days, and um, I just had to be in bed because I had no energy. But I still preached that Sunday because that's what you do, you know. The doctor had told me I should probably preach on a stool, but I thought that was lame. So I stood up, and if you were here that Sunday, it was such a vibe because I was gray and I was sweating the whole time. It was a really, really cool Sunday to be part of. And probably as you hear that, the reality is you think, well, Grant, you should probably have taken note of all of that stuff. You know, all of that going on, you probably should have thought, uh, let's do something about it. But I didn't. About eight months later, on the 23rd of August 2015, after a particularly busy while and a really busy weekend, I'd organized a Life Group Leaders Summit for all of the leaders of this church and Redpoint and Pinetown, and I'd preached at that, and then I'd gone home, and I'd finished a sermon for our Tough Questions series on homosexuality, which is probably the hardest topic that we can preach at in our culture, at least top five at the moment, and I preached that sermon the next day, which I think went well, but it was a very emotionally draining thing. We went out and we grabbed some hamburgers with people afterwards, which was a little treat and becomes an important uh, detail in the story in a minute. And Shell and I went home and I was tired and we had a nap. And a little bit later that night, I was not feeling so great. And about 9.30 at night, I had to go to the bathroom and I was incredibly ill. I threw up, I'm sorry to be gross, I vomited, and I vomited a lot of blood. And when I say a lot, it was a lot of blood. 
But I was being positive. I didn't want to kind of, you know, never say die. So I called Shell over because that's one of the delights of marriage. And I said, Shell, would you just check this out? Just tell me, do you think this is blood, you know? And she said, I think that's blood. I said, I actually, I think it's the tomato sauce from those hamburgers at lunch. I think it's fine. And I kind of brushed my teeth and rinsed out my mouth. And I went back to bed thinking, I'll sleep this off and I'll be fine tomorrow. And Shell, being a, a wise wife and not a pushover, phoned Nate and Cans, said, ah, my husband's vomiting blood. Do you think he should go to the hospital? And they said, definitely. He must go to the hospital now. So Shell took me to the hospital first time in my life I had been there. And it wasn't tomato sauce. It was blood. And the next day I had one of those endoscopes that goes down into your stomach and they found that I had an ulcer in my stomach from stress because I wasn't taking good care of myself and I wasn't leading my life well. And I was a spiritually mature follower of Jesus who knew all the stuff I should knew and was doing all of the stuff I should be doing, but at the same time serving God for his glory, where actually some of it was probably for my glory and for myself, I ended up in hospital to the glory of God. But really it wasn't for him, it was for me. And it wasn't because of him. It was because of me. And finally, after spending a night in hospital, I think God and Michelle started to get my attention. And I needed to make some changes. You see, I've been doing all of this stuff for God. But actually, I wasn't taking care of myself. And I needed God to do some deep heart surgery in me. I needed to change. And I want to say this. You see, the busyness wasn't the problem. The not saying no to some of the things I should have said no to wasn't the problem. The overwork wasn't the problem. None of those things was the problem. It was why I was doing all of those things. The reason behind all of the stuff that needed to change. That's where I needed God to come into my life. You see, I didn't need a change on my schedule. I needed a change in my heart. And maybe you do too. And I'm sharing that story very vulnerably because I think maybe some of you are in a similar place. And I wanted to ask you today, what is the state of your heart? What is the state of your inner world? How are you doing? Do you need to make some change? Because in Proverbs 4 verse 23, in the NIV version, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And I know that this is true because I ended up in hospital because I wasn't guarding my heart and I wasn't taking care of myself. There were a few practical things that I put in place in my life. One of the things, I found this a really helpful book to read, The Emotionally Healthy Church by Peter Scazzaro. You're welcome to get it. It's at CUM. I think it's about 200 bucks. Really helpful read. Shell and I started Sabbathing. We started taking a day a week where we would pray and play. It was a time to be with God and be refreshed by Him. And it was a time to play, to hang out, to have fun, to do the things that we really enjoyed doing. We started to slow down and do less stuff and say no more often because we needed more space. And on top of that, I had to get to God. The most important thing is I needed to let God go deeper in my life than he had ever gone before. You see, I'd been taught a certain level of discipleship, but I was at a place in my life where I needed God to take me forward into an area I hadn't been before. In Hosea 10 verse 12, Hosea the prophet says, break up your unplowed ground. He's talking about going into new territory and pioneering. And that's what God was calling me to do. I needed to go forward into new territory and walk with him in a path I hadn't walked before. Maybe other people didn't know about. And I think probably some of you are in that place too. We need God to help us to change and we don't necessarily know how. And I think what God did as I got before him is he revealed some of the idols and pride and sin and rubbish inside of my heart. And he brought all of that stuff to the surface. 
And then he started to change me and heal me and save me. And I think this is such an important thing because I think sometimes we don't understand that this gospel that we serve and believe in is a holistic gospel. So we think about the gospel and we say this is a gospel of forgiveness of sin and being reconciled to God and eternal life with him one day to come. And that's it, this narrow idea. That doesn't really touch the rest of my life. But the gospel of Jesus is a gospel which impacts every single part of our lives, every single moment of our day, everything we do, everything we think, everywhere we go, Jesus and his message wants to put, wants to touch that and shape that and change that. And I'm saying that because Jesus doesn't just want to save your soul. He doesn't just want to forgive your sins. He wants to make your entire life whole again. With his areas of brokenness in your life, he wants to heal you. With his areas where you found bound or imprisoned, he wants to set you free. He wants to save you from the things that are entrapping you or imprisoning you. He wants to give you life and life to the full, the life that is truly life inside of him. Jesus is doing that with us and the whole world. He is making things the way they are supposed to be. And I reckon probably a lot of us in this room as I'm speaking are saying, okay, there's some areas in my life that aren't the way they're supposed to be. I need Jesus' salvation to come into those areas. And over this series, we're going to get into a bunch of the practical tools that can help us to change and go forward with God. And I do want to say I'm not 100% there. This has only been like a two-year journey for me. But I asked Shell yesterday, I said, Shell, can I stand up in front of the church and share this story and say that I'm in a better place? And she said, you're in a much better place, but you're not 100% there. I want to say this is a journey and a process of walking with Jesus and letting him reshape our lives, which will take time. I think all of us want to be transformed in a moment, have this power encounter with God and it's all done. And God can set you free from things in a moment, but often the transformation will take time because God wants us to journey with him. He doesn't just want to be like this prayer answer guy who we can pray one prayer and then just carry on our lives without him. And I know some of you are sitting here, and as I've shared the story, you've kind of hardened your heart to me a bit because you're saying, Grant, Christianity is not about feelings and emotions. That's not what it's about. And I want to say to you today that I think what we should do now, like we should always do, is we should look at Jesus' life, because Jesus' life is perfect theology. And as we look at his life, I think we get a better idea of how what I'm saying does relate to us today. In John 12, verse 27, it says of Jesus, now my soul is troubled. In Matthew 8, verse 10, it says, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. In Mark 3, verse 5, it says, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. In John 11 verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. John 11 verse 35 says, Jesus wept. Mark 9 verse 36 says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Luke 10 21, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 53 verse 3, something Isaiah prophesies thousands of years before Jesus the Messiah was even born, says this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus was the perfect human, the perfect man, he lived the perfect life, and he is a perfect example to us in every area of what health and maturity and uh, godliness looks like. And it's so good to look at his life and his example and see the range of emotions he experienced, even things like anger and grief, Jesus being troubled. And maybe you're in one of those places now. Maybe you feel troubled in your spirit. Maybe you feel angry. Maybe you feel hurt. Maybe you feel sad. Jesus felt and experienced all of those things without sinning. 
And can we too grow to be mature in our emotions and in our response to the situations of life? And this is so key because our internal worlds and our emotions have to do with our discipleship to Jesus. Are we mature disciples of Jesus in our emotional world? I think maybe as we answer that question, one of the things we need to ask is, what does an emotionally unhealthy disciple look like? And I'm going to really simplify this, but I want to give you two polls. One is those who ignore their emotions, and the other is those who let their emotions rule them or define them or control them. And maybe I can ask you for a second, which side do you think you're on? I was on this side. You know, I was ignoring my emotions, pushing them down, pretending they weren't there, that all of these little warning signs weren't a problem. These sirens were going off in my life, and I just kept saying, it's all fine. Or maybe you're on the other side where actually things that have happened to you are defining who you are. The things that you're feeling define your mood, how you treat people, how you act. Which side are you on? And maybe beyond just you answering that question, you could speak to someone else, a friend or a spouse, maybe someone that you're very close to and say, where do you think I am? Am I ignoring my emotions or am I ruled by my emotions? I think it's so important for us to think about the fact that God has made us emotional beings. God has given us our emotions as a gift, something that we need and something that we can enjoy and are for his good and for um, his glory, but that we shouldn't be ruled by them or ignore them. And um, the reason I say that is because every part of our lives is tainted by and affected by sin, and that includes our emotions too. So when Jeremiah the prophet speaks about our hearts in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, he says, The heart is wicked and deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And it's not easy to understand our emotions and our inner worlds. They're complex. They're complicated. It's not easy to say this is how it all works. But we want to be aware of that because our emotions will make terrible masters but are really great servants for us. And David, the great psalmist, David, the great king and shepherd, one of the heroes of the Bible, writes often throughout the book of Psalms about what is going on inside of him. He writes often about what he is dealing with, what God is doing with him, and he pours out his heart before God. And one of the scriptures that stood out to me as I prepared for today was in Psalm 42, verse 5 and 6. David writes and says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And what I think is so amazing there is David does not ignore what's going on inside of him. He's not pretending it's not there. He's not pushing it down. In fact, the things that he's going through and feeling, he he is serious about. He's journaling the stuff. He's writing the stuff out before God. This is his prayer. And in fact, what David seems to do in the book of Psalms is it's almost like he vomits before God. He pours out all of the bile and junk and anger and emotion and feeling inside of him. And it's like he just lays it at God's feet. I think a lot of us don't feel like we've got the freedom to do that. But in the Bible, we see this picture of lament, this picture of people saying, God, this is not the way it's meant to be be. This is going on in me. This is going on in my life. This broken world, this sinful life, this sinful situation. And we pour it out before God and lay it at his feet and say, Lord, you are my salvation and my hope. Would you do that with God if there's stuff that is inside of you that needs to come out? Would you give it over to him no matter how disgusting and gross it might be, no matter how dark and hurtful it might be, no matter how you might be struggling? Would you give it over to him? And David does that. He pours it out. He writes it in the book of Psalms. He gives it over to God because he's not going to be defined by these feelings or these situations, and he's not going to ignore them. But he puts his hope in God. He almost takes himself by the scruff of his neck, and he brings himself before God and says, Help me, Lord. I can't do this on my own. And maybe you're in a place where you need to do that today too. 
Maybe you're in a place where you haven't included God in your situation or your pain or what you're going through. And today you're going to start to do that. Today God will be your hope and God will be your salvation. I'm saying this today because actually we want to take this journey forward with God. We want to be transformed. We want to grow. We want to go through this process with Jesus and let him change us. And we want to mature. We want to get more healthy. We want to love God and love people better, which is the picture of spiritual maturity in the scriptures. And we want to, in our hearts and souls and minds, be transformed to become more and more like Jesus and to love God completely. And I wanted to ask you, I've said this already, but don't just ask Jesus to change you. We're going to worship and pray in a sec, but don't just get before him and say, Jesus, would you change me so that I can carry on with my life? Why don't you ask Jesus today, Jesus, would you come and stand with me in the situation I'm in? Would you come and stand with me in my struggle, in my pain, in my hurt, in this thing that I faced 20 years ago? Would you come and stand with me and be with me? Would you be my hope and my salvation? And David, again, in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And when I was praying about that this morning, I thought, are you brave enough to pray that prayer? If you haven't wanted to go in some places in your heart, this morning would you be brave enough to say, God, search my heart, search my mind. And I had this picture of kind of like one of those FBI search teams, you know, CSI Miami or whatever show you're into. And like there's been a drug deal or a mafia bust or someone's been killed or whatever's going on. And they come into the home and they leave no stone unturned. You know, they're picking uh, hairs off the pillows. They're going through dust hoping to find evidence. They are checking through every page of every single book to see if they can find a clue that can help them solve the crime or the problem that they're facing. And I feel almost like David's doing that here in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Go through every grain of dust. Go through every hair on every pillow to find what is inside of me. Search my heart and try me and know my thoughts. Go through every part of my brain, everything I feel, everything I think, and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is asking God to unearth what's inside of him because he wants to be transformed. David wants to grow as a follower of Jesus. He wants to mature and go forward. He doesn't want to stay where he is. He wants in his heart, his mind, and his soul, the power of God to bring change to him, that he can grow and go forward. And for us, Harbor City, we are growing as a church that loves God and that loves people better and better and better. And for us, I think the ground that God is wanting to un- uh, what's it? plow up is this of our emotional lives, our inner world, our minds, our hearts, our souls. And he's wanting to do deep, deep work inside of us. Maybe places God has never gone before in your life to make us whole and to heal us and strengthen us. I want to just ask you these questions. Can I ask you to stand? Can we all close our eyes together? I want to ask you four questions and then read a brief story. As we go through this series, will you let God search you and know your heart? Will you invite Jesus into places he hasn't been allowed before? Will you be vulnerable with God and others? And will you invite God into the messy parts of your life? I heard this story about four years ago and it stuck with me. I hope it ministers to you. Try and picture this as I read. There once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. 
Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam in it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. And high in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as the keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that now no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water, but his work was unseen. And one year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. And no one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer, and giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended, twigs and branches, and worse, muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the streams into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. In fact, it smelled. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town because the life of the village depended on the stream and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened. The money was found. The old man was rehired. After yet another time, the springs were cleaned. The stream was pure. Children played again on its banks. Illness was replaced by health. The swans came home and the village came back to life. The life of a village depended on the health of a stream. The stream is the soul, is your soul, and you are its keeper. So Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And Lord, I pray for us as Harbor City Church. Pray for our visitors today, Lord. As we live in a very busy world, and we live in a crazy culture, as there is so much going on around us and we probably all feel like the pools of life are more demanding than we can handle, I pray you would pour grace into us even now, Lord God. I pray for your joy. I pray for your peace. I pray for your healing, Lord God. I pray you would help us to lead our lives well and make the changes that we need to make. I pray, Lord God, where there is brokenness and pain and hurt, that you would heal us and free us. And over these next few weeks, Lord God, our lives would be transformed forever. Lord God, I pray you would give us practical things to do, tools for us to carry in our hands to live a new life. But I pray, Lord Jesus, even now you would put your finger on some of the nerves in our lives that need to be touched and provoked, that we would change. I pray for your presence to come upon us. I pray for change and help, Lord God. Help us to guard our hearts. And Lord, where there is hurt in our hearts, would you bring your salvation to every part of who we are, that we could live that life and life to the full, that we could be whole. We ask you for your help and we look to you, our hope and our salvation. Amen. See?